we're just going to jump into it. We are, um, we are talking about sex tonight. And here's the deal. Here's what I wanted us to have just a, an open and honest conversation about this topic. I mean, if our society is obsessed with anything, it is obsessed with this topic. Uh, everyone is talking about it. I mean, if you have a smartphone, chances are every day of your life you are being, whether you want to or not, there will be images, sexual images, sexual messages coming across your phone whether you like it or not. So it's a heavy part of all of our lives, and I just wanted us to talk about it, be honest about it. And I wanted to read you guys some, some statistics that are insane. So just listen to these. And then we'll get going. Uh, the first one I want to talk to you about is the average age of first exposure to sexual content and pornography is 11 years old. Though some sources say children as young as 8 years old are being regularly exposed to sexual images. Raise your hand if you're over 8 years old. It's everyone in this room. <laughs> Second thing, porn sites receive more regular traffic online than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. 35% of all internet downloads are porn and sex related. 34% of all internet users have been exposed to unwanted pornography ads uh, or pop-ups. At least 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn or sex related. 98% of porn users ages 13 to 17 say porn has no, no effect on their relationships. And here's the craziest one of all. The number of Christians viewing pornography virtually mirrors the national average. Can we just put aside the notion that student ministry shouldn't be talking about this? Because we all just discovered the average age in, the, in America of being a target to sexual content is eight years old. Statistically, every single one of you in this room is a target for sexual content. Can we stop pretending like student ministry shouldn't be talking about it? Let's stop acting like this isn't a real-life problem in our lives. Uh, you see, our culture seems to be just constantly vocal about, opinionated, and highly visible about this topic of sex. And um, the same cannot be said about the church, which is ironic because the Bible actually is very vocal about sex. In fact, Jesus himself says a thing or two about sex. So why wouldn't the church also be willing to discuss sex? If it's important for the Bible and if it's important for Jesus to talk about it, then we need to talk about it too. And I want to title tonight's message, Don't Believe It. Don't believe. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey neighbor, are we really about to talk about this? I don't believe it. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be. You don't have to say it. So just find Genesis. Did you bring your Bible? Genesis chapter 1. So here's the, here's the risk when we discuss this kind of topics. Never trust me in what I say. Always go back to this. So Genesis chapter 1 should be incredibly easy to find. Literally the first book of the Bible. Open the Bible. First few pages, you're in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 is where we are going to start. I need to find it. This is awkward. What Bible? Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 26. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're ready, say, oh, I'm ready. Genesis chapter 1. It says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like 
us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Come on, somebody. Be fruitful. Amen. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then we're going to skip down to 31. Then God looked over all he had made and said it was very good. And the evening passed and morning came. Mark the sixth day. Now jump down to verse or chapter 2, verse 18. This is what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. Why did he call it Lama? Like, what's, why would he pick that name out? That's a weird name. He chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She should be called woman because she's taken from man. That's Adam, Southern California, I guess. I don't know. Brah. Anyways. <laughs> This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Like, you know life is good when you're naked and also not, not ashamed. <laughs> like, things are good. Um, when was the last time something legitimately, like, blew your mind? Like, just information, has it been a while? Um, I, it was a few years ago for me. I was eating breakfast with a friend, and... Uh, I don't eat breakfast a ton, so I don't eat a ton for breakfast. I'm not like three pancakes, 12 eggs, 17 bacon things. I'm pretty simple. I'm like a banana and like eggs, that's it. And I, I remember I was eating breakfast with this friend, and I was eating the banana, peeled the banana, ate it, and my friend looks at me. He goes, bro, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I'm eating, I'm eating, just eating a banana. What's up? He said, dude, you're eating the banana the wrong way. I was like, what are you... What do you, you just peel and eat a banana? Like, is there that many steps that I missed here? He's like, no, no, you're eating the banana the wrong way. He's like, no way, there's not a chance. He said, what if I could prove it to you that you're eating that banana the wrong way? I was like, there's no way. No way. I don't believe it. And so this bro whips out his cell phone, gets out the YouTubes, and he plays this video. So I learned a new trick yesterday. And it really blew my mind because I've been eating bananas forever and I would always try to open it from the stem, like dig my finger in, bite it, get that nice taste of banana in your mouth. But then um, um, a friend of mine, Brittany, saw me like struggling with it yesterday and showed me how monkeys open a banana. And... You don't open it from the stem, just kind of pinch, pinch the tip, it'll split, and you peel it out like that. Okay, two questions. First question I have is, why is that bro making a video with monkey pajamas on? 
The second question I had is, why did no one tell me the right way to open a banana? Did anyone just learn something for the first time? Like, so if you've been opening from the stem, you've been doing it wrong. But isn't it interesting how we can have something, be so used to something, but also be using it the wrong way? I think the same can be said about relationships as well. I think with our culture, our society, they are, it is very vocal about how relationships should look, they should go. And we get so used to the norm of relationships that we actually miss the actual intended use of it. We have been viewing relationships and we have been viewing love the wrong way. And you can see that through the way that we look at this topic of sex. You see, as a culture, we are a culture that idolizes sex. You just heard all the statistics, right? I mean, millions and millions and millions of people every day are looking at sexual content online alone. That doesn't even count of what's happening in real life. We are a culture idolized with this topic of sex. Do it, what, do it whenever, wherever, with whoever. There's no boundaries. There's no rules. Just do whatever you want to do because it feels awesome. Like that's the message that culture is giving to you. Uh, and, and there's something wrong with that. But you see, the problem isn't sex. Did you know that God designed sex? Genesis 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 28, God says, gives a command, actually. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Listen, we're having a baby in April. We were fruitful, and we were multiplying. Claire Marie Collum is like, God gave a command. God created. God created. Is this awkward for you? Good. Sex, hear me. Sex is not the problem. You see, we have believed a lie about sex. You ever hear the phrase like sex is making love, right? Making love. No one's there. This is interesting. Okay. Um, But the problem is that we have believed a lie. We believe and we have mistaken love for lust. I know when we think of the word lust, we usually think of it in a strictly sexual content, but I want to give you just a a definition that's way more broad than that. So lust is using someone as an instrument for your own satisfaction. Using someone as an instrument for your own satisfaction. You see, from the get-go, people are already viewing relationships through this Lynn, so many of us operate that relationships were designed for self-fulfillment, for my satisfaction. He's cute. I like him. It makes me feel good. Oh, she high. Ooh, look at those legs. Makes me feel good. We've already twisted this idea of relationship because we have mixed up and traded love for lust. But hear me. I want you to understand this tonight. Lust is a lie. Lust is a lie. Our culture is confused. We confuse love with lust. We have begun viewing relationships as a tool for self-fulfillment. And whenever you look at any relationship, whether it's physically, emotionally, or digitally, whenever you view any relationship as a tool for self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment, you have confused love for lust. That's not love. That is lust. Do you ever hear someone say the phrase, like, I just want to fall in love? This is one of that's my dream. I just want to fall in love. Like, can I just be honest with you? Falling is not a good thing. No one wants to fall on purpose. Like, no one is like, oh, I fell. Isn't that romantic? Like, no one does that. Falling is an accident. Falling is not a good thing. You see, love isn't what makes you fall. Lust is what makes you fall. 
You don't fall into love. You commit to love. You see, lust is a lie because lust is not committed to you. It tells you you alone are not worthy. You know what lust says? It says, I love you, but, like, girl, I love you, but only when you do this. Girl, I love you, but only if you do this for me. Lust will tell you, I love you, but I found somebody else. Lust will say, I love you, but I won't respect your boundaries. Guys, let me be honest with you. If you're in a relationship with someone right now who will not respect your convictions and your boundaries, they are not in love with you. They are in lust with you. I was talking with a girl the other day, Sunday morning downstairs. She came up to the altar and the worship center to pray. And we were talking about her relationships. And she began to tell me about this relationship that she was in that she knew she shouldn't be in, but felt like she needed to be in the relationship for the sake of the other guy. Her, her verbiage was, if I don't leave, I don't know. If I leave, I don't know what will happen to him. Guys, if you are in a relationship because you're concerned, if someone has manipulated you into being a relationship with you, guess what? They are not in love with you. They are in lust with you, and you are a cute little accessory to their self-fulfillment. Lust is a lie because it is not committed to you. Love is committed to you, but lust puts a condition on you. See, lust is a lie because it promises us satisfaction that it can't deliver. It promises us fulfillment. It promises us the world. But at the end of the day, when we operate out of lust, we will feel more empty than when we began. Do you think it's a coincidence that we operate out of all this sexual sin we think it'll fulfill us, but then we keep having to go back to those websites because we just can't get enough. Or we keep going back to those broken relationships because we just can't get enough. Or we keep going to those Snapchat accounts or those images that we see on social media. It's almost as if we can't get enough. It's because you can't. Because lust will never be able to deliver on the promise of fulfillment that it tells you it can and we, when we believe that those images will satisfy us, we get, and you know this, we get into this vicious cycle, being broken, needing to be filled, going after these images, going after these relationships, doing it, feeling more broken, feeling heartless, I need to get back and back and back and back. It's almost as if it's not doing something that we need it to do. You see, lust is a lie because it is promising you satisfaction that it can't deliver on. Lust is a lie because it distorts the design of sex. There's an interesting scene in Matthew chapter 19. And it's with Jesus. And I want to read it for you. Matthew 19 verse 3 says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And then Jesus responds, Haven't you read the scripture? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Jesus is talking about sex, y'all. Come on. Jesus says the two are, will be united one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You see, Jesus is given the opportunity to define sex 
And do you know what he does? He points to Genesis chapter 1. Given the opportunity, people are asking Jesus about sex. Jesus, what do you think about marriage? What do you think about intimacy? What do you think about it all? And what does Jesus do? He points to the creation story, Adam and Eve. Jesus is not silent on the topic of sex. Jesus isn't even silent on the topic of sexuality. Jesus is incredibly clear that there is a design and there is a purpose for sex. And it is rooted in intimacy from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis, Jesus is saying that the only God-glorifying sexual intimacy is between one man and one woman in the context of union. Anything less than that is sinful, but lust will lie to you. Culture will lie to you. Culture will say, listen, there's no boundaries. You do you. Oh, you were born, oh, do, you, do what's natural. It feels good. Do you know that the Bible says that our natural selves are sinful? Do you know that? So don't believe the lie that if it's natural, it's good. In fact, the opposite is true scripturally. If it's natural, it's actually more inclined to be sinful. Lust will lie to you because it distorts the design of sex. But Jesus doesn't even stop there. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's an age-old question. How far is too far? Have you heard this question? Like, Brayden, how far is too far? Like, okay, we're not having sex, but like, how far is too far? Jesus is incredibly clear. It starts in the heart before you do anything. Jesus says, you want to know where sexual sin begins? It starts when you view someone as a tool for the, uh, your object of satisfaction. That is where sexual sin, even, you don't have to touch nobody, and you can be sexually sinful. The moment, Jesus says, the moment you look at someone as an object for your satisfaction is the moment you have stepped in to sexual sin. But what lust does is it lies to you. It says there are no boundaries. But I'm here to tell you tonight, don't believe it. There is a design for God glorifying intimacy. Don't believe the lie of lust. Lust is a lie because it turns your sexuality into your God. There are people in this room who love Jesus, but you think about your singleness way more than you think about Jesus. There are people in this room who love Jesus, but you think about your boyfriend or your girlfriend more than you think about Jesus. There are people in this room who love Jesus, but you think about your sexual orientation more than you think about Jesus. There are people in this room who love Jesus, but you are unwilling to do whatever it takes to flee from sexual immorality. You think about what you're going to do tonight more than you think about Jesus. You see, what lust does is it convinces you that the most important thing about you is your sexuality. Can I tell you something tonight? You are more than your sexual preference. You are more than your sexual identity. And you are more than your sexual history. That is not who you are. You are not defined by your sexuality. But culture wants you to believe that the most important thing about you is your sexuality. Culture, society, lust wants you to believe that sex needs to be your God. I'm here to tell you tonight, don't believe it. 
Lust is a liar. Lust is a liar. You see, our culture is very loud about the appeal of unrestricted sex. But what has, it has failed to do is mention, our culture has failed to mention the bondage, the disappointment, and the guilt, and the shame that follows. Culture, society, social media, it's very loud about how awesome this looks, but it never tells you the shame that it can bring. You want to know why we need to talk about this tonight? Because there are students who walk in that door every single week who feel shame because of their sexual history. Statistically, it's most of you. Why do we need to talk about this? Because statistically, all of you have been affected by some sort of sinful brokenness. And what it does is it carries, it puts on you this weight of shame. And I'm here to tell you tonight that shame is a thief. You know what's interesting about the story of Adam and Eve? Is that the last description of them in Genesis chapter 2, the last description of Adam and Eve is that they are naked and unashamed. It's chapter 2. Chapter 2 ends there. Chapter 3 starts, sin enters the world and so does shame. Shame is a thief. Shame steals your joy because shame tells you, what do you have to be happy about? You know what you did last night. What do you, no. Shame will steal your joy. Shame will steal your identity because shame will say, do you you know who you are? Do you know what you have done? Look at you trying to come into church raising, no, that ain't you. You know what you've done. Shame is a thief. It will steal your identity. And shame will steal your peace because you will be unable to rest because you've got to hide who you are. If anyone ever found out who I was, they'd never talk to me again. And you can never have peace because you're constantly needing to hide who you are. Shame will steal your peace. And there's many of us in this room tonight who would say, Braden, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew what I've done, if, you, if you're in this room who thinks, if you're in this room right now and you think that shame is your story, I'm here to tell you tonight, don't believe it. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter, no matter what your past looks like, I'm here to tell you tonight that shame is not the end of your story. John chapter 8. I've been reading this passage a lot. It's an unbelievable passage. It says this, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. 
Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? The woman looked at Jesus and said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine this scenario? Where this woman, it wasn't a rumor of her sin. It wasn't hearsay about her sexual sin. No, homegirl was caught in adultery. Can you imagine the scene and how she must have felt when these Pharisees dragged her into the middle of a crowd? Can you imagine? And the law of Moses says that a woman caught in adultery must be stoned. And so there she is saying, you know, they got me. I ready, ready to deserve the punishment ready to accept the punishment that she deserved. She was actually caught in it. Come on, like ready to just totally exposed of her sexual sin. But then comes Jesus and he drops an epic line. And he looks at the crowd and says, you without sin, you throw the first stone. And then everybody's like, oh, dang, I messed up too. So they drop the stone and they walk away. And Jesus is staring at this woman, again, actually caught in the middle of sexual sin, totally ashamed, totally exposed. And Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? She says, nowhere, Lord. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Neither do I accuse you. You see, if you're in this room, and you are feeling the weight of shame of your history and your past. Can I put you at ease tonight and let you know that Jesus is not in the business of shame. Jesus is in the business of mercy and kindness and forgiveness and love. You see, lust is a liar. Shame is a thief. But love, love is a gift. You know, the difference between lust and love is that lust wants to take, but love wants to give. John three sixteen, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Ephesians 2 tells us that because God loved you so much, he saved you from your sin. Not because of anything that you've done, but because it is a gift. Guys, as a society, we have mistaken love for lust. And you want to know why our world seems so broken? It's because we have been looking for satisfaction in literally anything else but Jesus. I want to read this last scripture, Psalm 107. It says, As some wandered in the wilderness, lost and home homeless, hungry and thirsty, they nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Listen to this. For he satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. Guys, some of you in this room have been looking for things to satisfy you that will never satisfy you. 
Some of you in this room have been looking to relationships to satisfy you that will never satisfy you. Some of you in this room have been looking to images and social media accounts and people online to satisfy you. And I'm here to tell you tonight, don't believe it. It won't satisfy you. People can never quench the thirst in your souls. No person or relationship will ever be able to fulfill you. No image online will ever satisfy your soul. Your soul will only be satisfied through Jesus. The crazy thing about Jesus is he knows everything about you. Maybe you've never been dragged in front of a crowd with your sin exposed in front of everyone. But can I tell you tonight that your sin is exposed in front of Jesus? Like he sees every nook and cranny of your life. He's heard every thought you've had. He's listened to every word you said. He's seen every shadowy, spiderwebby part of your heart. He has seen it all. He has seen everything. Jesus, if you... Everything. The thing you and your girlfriend, you thought, no, he saw that. The th- you and your boyfriend, oh, but he, my ex-boyfriend, but he said he, lo- yeah, he saw that. The thing that you did online, yeah, he saw that. Jesus knows everything about you. And yet he looks at you the same way he looks at that woman. He says, who's here to condemn you? Not me. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. That is not of your own doing, because we all know we all jacked up. It is a gift of God for you. So many of us have been searching for things to satisfy our hearts. I'm here to tell you tonight, nothing ever, 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 no boyfriend, no husband, no bank account, no big house, no awesome yacht. Is anyone? No one's going to have a yacht. Nothing will ever satisfy your soul besides Jesus. So I'm here to tell you tonight to stop looking. He's here. He's looking at you. He knows everything about you, yet he looks at you and says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you the satisfaction of your soul. He doesn't look at you with condemnation. He doesn't look at you ready to strike you down. He looks at you with grace and mercy and compassion because that is who he is. Don't let lust lie to you. You are not too far gone. Don't let lust lie to you. You are not the sum of your past mistakes. Jesus says you are my child. You are loved. You are known. And I am crazy about you regardless of the things that you have done. So stop searching for satisfaction in that thing online. Stop searching for satisfaction in that relationship. Stop searching for satisfaction in your bank account. Only one person can give you satisfaction. It is forever and only Jesus. You want to know why we do all of this? It's because Jesus is the only only one who can satisfy that deep desire in your soul. Let's all stop pretending we ain't got stuff we need to work on. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We have all stumbled and fallen short of the glory of God. But what an incredible moment to be here tonight to thank Jesus that he would save us from our sin. I want BSM North to be people in a noisy culture. I want BSM North to be the people who will stand up for righteousness. When all your friends are, ch- oh, look at it, look at it, oh. Be like, bro, come on. 
I want BSM North to be the people who will stand up once and for all for sexual purity. I want these students in this room to be people who are known, who love Jesus way more than they love their boyfriend. I want people in this room to, to be known as people who love Jesus way more than they love their internet connection and social media accounts. I want people in this room to be known only for their love for Jesus. Everything else is totally secondary. We will be people who no longer look at other people or images as objects of our satisfaction. But we will view people, the women online, the men online, our relationships, we will view it all through the perspective of Jesus. I declare it. We've got a lot of work to do. But it starts right now. When it comes to the lie of lust and sex that this world is trying to offer you, I want you to hear me tonight. Don't believe it. Jesus is the only one who will ever be able to satisfy you. Let's pray.